Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 50 today. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, which simply translated mean, means the beginning. Chapter 50 is the last chapter of that book. And we'll be in Genesis chapter 50 today. You know, in life, we run across things that hurt. If you've ever been hurt today, say, oh me. Oh me. Oh me, yes. Some of those hurts are still present even in this moment. Even if they have been decades ago, maybe when we were a child or maybe some other time. But sometimes our past pain becomes our present reality. It becomes our identity. It begins to define who we are, how we think, how we see things, and how we live. Our past seems to, to wrap its, its tendons around us and control our movements. It seems to be that thing that every time we turn around, we're reminded of it. Now, there's some good things in our past, but sometimes there are some things in our past that are really tough. One thing is for sure. Your past cannot be changed. It has happened. It is a reality it has done what it was going to do in your life, whether it was good or whether it was bad. As a pastor, I speak to many people whose, whose past is filled with hurt and pain. You're not alone today. If you have come to this place and there are things that has, has been coming up over and over, then you're not alone. One of the things that seems to happen sometimes, especially if we have a difficult past, is we use two words. And those words are what if. What if someone else treats me like that? What if I trust and I get hurt again? What if they find out about my past? What if, what if, what if, are words that absolutely stir the imagination into a fury of absolute chaos sometimes. You're not alone. C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but He shouts to us in our pain. The devil will often keep record of what's happened in the past. And he will remind us of how worthless and useless we are because of it. He wants to use it against you to tear you down, pull you down, and push you down. That's where the devil wants to keep you. But can I tell you something? God doesn't want to erase your past. He wants to take your past and he wants to use it for his glory and do something that will change lives today. You may be sitting there going, I just don't know if that can happen with me. I'm glad you're here. That's a great question. That's a great thing for us to wrestle with. Is because things of our past, how does God use them? How do we get to a place where God can make a difference? Christ offers to cover them despite the pain. Today in Genesis chapter 50, we're going to be reading a little bit more about a man by the name of Joseph. A man who was hurt. A man who was hurt by his family. 
And we're going to see a contrast between him and his brothers and how they dealt with their past. But let me remind you of this. This is important. You may want to write this down on something. Jot it down. Jot it on the top of the sermon notes that's in the bulletin or, 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 or click that little add a note in the YouVersion app or something. Because listen, Satan cannot torment us about our past if we're using it to glorify God. Satan cannot torment us about our past if we're using it to glorify God because it is greater than any torment he can bring because it's being used by God to change lives. The two can't happen at the same time. So how do we get over there? Many of you have looked at this table. As soon as it was brought in this morning, I heard somebody say, Oh, look, a sermon illustration. How is he going to use that table? I came across this table yesterday. Tim and I went over and was getting some stuff out of a lady's house. She was giving away, and she had this table. And I saw this table, and I was like, wow, that is so beautiful. And I look at this table, and one thing is for sure, it's really, really Really old. It's, this is an old, old table. I mean, when you look at the hinges underneath it, you can tell the screws are flathead screws. How many of you know what a flathead is? Come on now. All my men, arr, 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 we know what a flathead is. They're flathead screws. Evidently, they didn't have Phillips head back then. This was before they realized, you know, that helps. I hate flathead screws, by the way. They are uh, they're terrible. But there's also a little wooden thing under here that actually holds, the, holds it up. There's not a metal thing that you pull out. Someone manufactured this thing and, and, and they, they precisely made that little wood thing so, so it would turn out. And at some point, someone bought this table. Someone got this table and they began to use it. I'm sure when they got it, it was, had a beautiful finish on it and someone was really, really excited. But as I look at this table... Spider webs were under the table when we got it. I'll look at the top of this table. Let me just show it to you. It's obvious that there has been things sitting on it. At this point, probably plants were sitting on it or something. There's definitely some areas where there's water that's gotten on this table. You can see that. When I see this table, what I see is I see a story. I see a story of a past. It represents a lot of us in this room today. Started out just fine. We were born beautiful little babies and something happened. <laughs> Some of you just got that. <laughs> and if the person next to you didn't giggle, you can lean over and explain it to them. Some of us started out and we lived in families that were rough. It was hard. Even ugly. And we thought it was normal. And along the way, there was damage that was done. There were marks that took place. And when I look at this table, I see a table with stories. A table is often the place where families will gather around and they will eat meals and they'll have conversations. Unfortunately, today... A lot of tables could be completely taken out of homes because they don't sit around the table and have conversations much anymore. They're always so busy. All they do is text each other or something. But the table is a place where at some point there's been lots of communication happening around this table. There's a lot of damage to this table. 
But this table has a story. So it is with the young man, uh, and he's now an older man that we find in Genesis 50 today. He has a story. 17 years old, he was discarded by his brothers, and a lie was told to his father that he was dead. He was sold into slavery, found himself working for a man by the name of Potiphar, and his wife told lies on him, and he wound up in prison. Wrongly accused, didn't get a fair shake, justice didn't come his way. He even had friends that totally forgot about him. And then one day, one day he was offered an opportunity and he took it. Where he was able to interpret a dream that Pharaoh had. And that put him in a position of great authority across the entire country. Seven years of great things took place. And then a famine came. A famine came and brought to him his brothers. One day as he was there, in walked these men, and he recognized them. Those are my brothers. Those are the ones that threw me in the pit. Those are the ones that made fun of me and called me names. Those are the ones that totally disregarded me. Those are the ones. But instead of anger and revenge, he looked at them with a heart of compassion and love. He had missed them. He had missed his father. He wanted to know about his dad and his little brother. He didn't reveal who he was to start with. But over time, the dad came and he lived in the area with them. And the dad passed away. Joseph's dad died. At least he got to see him before he passed away. And he spent some time with him. But it seems like death is the place that will bring out the ugly in a family. Ask Mr. Merck. I'm sure he has seen it. I've been around it. Death takes place in a family and all of a sudden there are these evil viper heads that pop up. And it gets ugly. Oftentimes it's due to a fact of pain. But when we look at Joseph in chapter 50, his dad has died. His brothers are there. His dad has been embalmed according to the Egyptian way, which takes 40 days to do. And, and Joseph has asked the Pharaoh, can I take him and bury him in his country? Yes, you can. So he takes him back to Israel and he buries him there. And while he's there, he mourns the death of his dad. Can you imagine just being on the road and all of a sudden, here comes this great band of hundreds of people coming down the road carrying this dead body. Your first thought is, who in the world is that? They must be really important. Oftentimes, we'll see funerals like that today. And we begin to say, well, when I die, probably won't be a lot of people at my funeral. I wish I could be as popular as them and make as big impact as them. But because of what's happened to me, I don't think I can. Can I tell you something today? God's grace is deeper and stronger than your past. God's grace can overcome anything that's going on, any pain that you've experienced, and bring you to a place where you can be used greatly by God. As a matter of fact, I want us to look today 
at Joseph. And I want to begin by simply reading, in beginning in verse 15, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if? See, what happens with our past is when we are filled with pain and anguish and something's going on in our past, oftentimes we'll begin in our mind saying, what if? And it leads us down a path that's very dangerous. Check this out. They said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am I in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. One of the things I want us to look at is the symptoms that we can look in our own life or in the life of others to see if we have been set free, if we're living in freedom when it comes to our past. The very first thing that I see with Joseph here is he lives by faith in verse 19 and 20. Check out verse 19. Verse 19 says, But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Here's his faith. It's in two words, but God. It's not tied to the events. It's not about what happened. He First and foremost, when he was in that prison cell and those rats would scurry across the, the floor and he could say, why am I here? Why does this have to happen to me? I don't deserve this. His mind, I'm sure, was resting upon this. God, you're in control. I wonder if he ever asked himself, maybe one day in a weak moment, he said, what if I never get out of this prison? You know, I think the decision he made, Miss Wayne, I think it was this. If I never get out of this prison, God's going to get glory. He made a choice and decision, even there, that God was in control. He lived by faith. Now, the brothers, they lived by something else rather than faith. Look in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full? You know what that comes out of? That comes out of what Joseph had to give them comfort about in verse 19 and 20. Do not be afraid. Birthed out of fear. They were living a life of fear. They were scared because of pain in their past that they did not uh, see it in a perspective that God was in control. But yet this has happened to me. See, we see two different perspectives here. 
The second thing is not only did Joseph live by faith, but he sees that divine plan. Verse 20, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people. See, Joseph is not looking at just the events of what happened, but he's looking at how God has worked. As a matter of fact, some people may say, well, is this new for him? Is this something that we just read right here? Is this something that once the brothers get there, they reconcile and everything is fine? Check this out. If you go back to Genesis chapter 41, you will find that Joseph has some sons during that seven year of, of, of great flourishing food. He gets married to this woman. They have two sons. And he names them something very interesting in chapter 41, beginning in verse 50. Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asneth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. You can say, what's the big deal about Manasseh? This is what the name means. For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. Now you can say, I sure do wish God would make me just forget. I wish I just couldn't remember what's happened to me. Just wipe it out of my brain. And as a matter of fact, that's why many people run to alcohol and drugs. That's why many people find themselves in broken relationships all the time. Is because they're running, trying to get an escape away from. Let me get away from the past. I don't want to see the past. I don't want to be reminded of those, those marks and those scars that has come from that. I want to run. But what Joseph does here is when he names his son, God has made me forget, made me forget the effects of that. I'm not living in the pain of the past. He is declaring by naming his son Manasseh, God is in control, not me. He named his second son uh, that, that he had Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So he had not forgotten the pain that he had to go through. He didn't forget the details, or he wouldn't really be in, in, in conversation with his brothers. He wouldn't be at, at the end going, look, guys, I forgave you. He remembers the pain. But what God had done was bring him to a place where he could declare Manasseh. I am okay. He sees a divine plan in verse 20. He is it's very clear that man's wicked intentions can never, never threat the perfect plan of God. God had a plan, and even though man meant something evil and bad, God was able to use it for good. See, the brothers were afraid of revenge in verse 15. Now that dad's dead, he's going to get his revenge. See, they're thinking about revenge, and Joseph's thinking about God's great plan. See the two differences there? Where are you? Are you constantly thinking about the revenge that's going to, be, that's going to happen, and maybe the revenge that you deserve what's happening to you? That is a lie from the devil. Don't get caught up in that and in changed by you deserve it because God has set you free through the grace of the blood of Jesus Christ from that. He wants to use that to lift you up so that you can tell others and proclaim to the world what God has done. God wants to do that. 
They are thinking about revenge. Joseph's thinking about a divine plan. But check this out, this next one, a symptom of freedom. Joseph gives comfort. He gives comfort to others. Look at verse 19 through 21. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I don't know if you caught this earlier, but the brothers did not even go tell them the lie about what the dad had said. We see no evidence that his father ever said to tell Joseph to forgive his brothers. It's because Joseph had evidence of forgiveness, evidence that he, God was in control in his life. You can see that back up where in verse 16, they sent a message to Joseph. And then you read later, after Joseph receives the message, the brothers come to them. So they kind of send forward this group or, or this person or something. Say, go and tell Joseph these things that you heard our dad say it. You know what they did? They were living in a state of manipulation. Let's manipulate the circumstances. Why? Because the pain of the past was still a hold of them. Now, thing is, this has been over 20 or 30 years ago for these guys. And it wasn't just one of them. There were 11 brothers. 10 of them that were actually involved in this situation. And yet, these brothers, nearly 40 years later, are trying to manipulate a situation because they're afraid of revenge. But Joseph offers comfort. It actually says Joseph wept when he heard that. Have you wondered why did Joseph cry? Why did Joseph weep when they came and said, your father has said that, he, that you should forgive your brothers, uh, blah, 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 blah. Why did Joseph cry? I believe because of his deep love and compassion for his brothers to realize they don't get it. They're still living entrapped in chains. If you're living there today, you don't feel like you're a weirdo. That's normal. That's a place that many people have been. Living with a story to be told of marks and of damage. But rather than telling a lie like the brothers did in verse 16 and 17, Joseph was flat up and straight up honest. He was honest and he served them in verse 20 and 21. In verse 20 and 21, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result to preserve many people. He's going to serve people. I'm going to take care of you and your little ones. I am here to serve you. His mindset was not self-preservation but serving other people. Some people find themselves entrapped and enslaved by the past. The brothers lived... They lived focused on the past. They were always filled with fear. But yet Joseph, 
He focused on God and how he was fulfilling his present and his future. That is a big thing. The brothers saw the past first in relation to their pain, but yet Joseph saw the present in light of the past as God had worked in it to bring them to where they were. This table that sits before you could just simply say, I'm done. I am absolutely done. I have been damaged. Somebody just put what looks like plants. They watered plants on top of me. I have now got water damage. I'm done being a table. It's over. Obviously, the table couldn't walk away, even though it has four legs. But this table has such a beautiful story, a history. And what does this table really need? We'll get to that in just a second. But I want you to notice an attitude of freedom that Joseph had. Two things real quick. Number uh, Verse 19. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? You know what Joseph was saying? I am not God. Would you repeat that with me? I am not God. Somebody didn't say it like you believe it. Somebody thinks they're God up in here. Okay, let's say it like we believe it. I am not God. Now turn to your neighbor and say, You are not God. (laughs) Joseph is saying, I am not God. Do you understand his perspective in all of this? What is happening to him? He's saying, hey, I'm not God. I'm not the one in control of all these things. I'm not the one who put me in Pharaoh's second chair. God put me there. Some will say, well, did God cause him to be thrown into the pit and thrown into the prison and forgotten about and accused wrongly? Look, there's a lot of ways you can look at it. It doesn't matter whether God caused it or he didn't. God used it to do great things for his glory. The argument isn't whether, well, God's been so mean to me. God wants to do great things through you. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to hold on to the argument? Well, it's just so unfair. I I should not have been treated this way. Yes, it was unfair. They were evil people. They were mean. They were ugly. But God wants to use you to do great stuff for Him in spite of it. Joseph understood, I am not God. Second thing is, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You know what Joseph's saying? I am in God's divine plan. Despite my past of what has happened to me, what is going on in my past, I am in God's divine plan. Somebody say that with me. I am in God's divine plan. This is great. You're all leaving today realizing you're not God and you're in God's divine plan. And when you realize that, you begin to see things a little differently because you are not in control of the past or the situations or the mess or the stuff that's happened to you. God's in control. Let Him use it to do something great because He wants to. He really, really wants to. 
See, broken things can become blessed things if we let God do the healing. You know what's going to happen to this table? This broken thing that's got scars and has got messed up places and, and messed up things, it's going to be put into the hands of someone who can take this mess and make it beautiful again. He's not going to have to take and build a brand new table. He's not going to, to uh, just ignore the stuff that's here, but he's going to do some sanding. And he's going to do some, some, what's that stuff called you put on? Varnishing or painting. He's, and when you see the table after a master, um, someone that's got great skills gets done with it, you'll look at this table and go, wow, how beautiful. Right now, many of you would not even put this in your house. You'd stick it out in the garage. You'd go, I ain't putting that in my house. I sure ain't going to put it in my living room. That thing looks nasty. I ain't going to eat off of it. But when the, the master skill man gets done with this table, you'll look at it and go, I want that to be on display. Can I tell you? Some of you are living in this state today and you think that there's no changing it. Put yourself into the hands of the master who can, who can sand, who can rub, who can care and take all the little crevices and the cracks and fix the little hinge here and there and then put a brand new coat on it. And then all of a sudden everybody will stand back and go, man, look what happened when that was put into the hands of the master. Look at that person and what kind of a word they got to share, a testimony that they have. My God is a master. Master skillsman making a masterpiece out of you. I got news for you. I can't wait to see this table when it's done. Tim Merck is the master skillsman that's going to get a hold of that. Now I put pressure on you, Tim. <laughs> Everybody's going to want to see what you do with this table. But he is going to take this table, make it look brand new again. He's going to use this to bring out the beauty that's already there. Because here's the faith Joseph had to have. Here's the faith you must have to experience this freedom. Real quick. Write this down. God uses my past to do great things in the present and the future. That is a truth from the scripture. That's not my opinion. It's not an opinion of somebody else. But God uses my past to do great things in the present and into the future. That is God's plan for you. But what are you going to do? Are you going to just stuff everything into a closet somewhere? Stick it in a garage? Say, well, God can't use that. My God hung the stars in the heavens. As we heard this morning in Sunday school, you don't know who my daddy is. My father hung the stars. My father knows when every little bird gives birth when they lay an egg and that baby pops out of that egg. My father knew this morning every fish in Lake Lanier, what they were doing. My father knew every thought that you had before you got to... My father knows what you're thinking about right now, whether you're listening to me or thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. Better look out. My father is something else. But do we really, truly see that and believe that? Chuck Swindoll said, Joseph was led by grace. He spoke by grace. He forgave by grace. He forgot by grace. He loved by grace. He remembered by grace. Because of grace, when his brothers bowed before him in fear, he could say, get on your feet. God meant it all for good. Don't hang your head any longer. God's grace has changed the whole situation. God's grace has changed yours. He's changed mine. 
God's grace is greater than our past. Stronger than our fears. God's grace. I'm reminded of a New Testament story in Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8. Jesus gets into a boat and he goes across the lake. And he is going from the Jewish side of Israel to where the Gentiles are. And he gets over there and he gets off the boat. Indulge me just for a moment. Joseph steps, Jesus steps off the boat and there is a man there. The man's got a past. It's not a pretty past. As a matter of fact, when the man shows up, he's completely naked. He ain't wearing any clothes. He is dirty. He is filthy. He stinks. He smells. He's been rejected by the town people. He's living among the tombs. He's living among the things that were dead in the past. And he has been grabbed hold of by these demons. And they're holding on and they can't get loose. He can't get loose from them. But then he met Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. His first trip across the waters. He came to the Gentiles and there was a man with the demons a hold of him so bad he couldn't be, be himself. But yet when he met Jesus, Jesus set him free. The people came running. They heard about it and they came running and, and they got to looking and they're going, dude, he's got his clothes on. He looks like he's in his right mind. What in the world is going on? And you know what happened to them? Read it in Mark chapter 5. They get scared. They are afraid because Jesus did something no one else could do. Jesus just transformed that man's life. Jesus changed him completely. And all of a sudden, Jesus is, is, is about to leave because they're saying, Jesus, get out of here. Please leave. We don't want you over here. We're scared. Run away. Go, go, go. Go back where, where you came from. So Jesus is going to get back in his boat with his disciples. And you know who's running behind him? That man. That man's going, Jesus, let me go with you. I want to go with you. You changed my life. Let me just stay with you. And Jesus turns to this guy and he says, nope, don't follow me. Hello, is that just not awkward and and strange? Jesus normally would walk up to somebody and say, Come follow me, come follow me, come follow me. But this guy, he said, Don't follow me. Do not follow me. He told that man, You go to the Decapolis and you tell them what has happened to you. You want to know what the Decapolis is? Deca meaning ten, polis meaning city, a ten city region. He didn't say go home, get dressed, get shaved, get you a good job and live your comfortable life. He said go declare what I have done in your life. I have set you free from those demons of the past. I have set you free from the anguish that you've had to deal with. Now go and let the world know what I have done. Later on in the New Testament, it is in the Decapolis that Saul is blinded. He has gone to one of these cities and there is a believer there. That has to go see Paul. And you know what I think, Abram? That demoniac probably won that man to Jesus Christ. Because he kept talking about Jesus. i got to tell you what God has done in my life. Jesus has changed me. So what must we do? Number one, believe God is personally invested in all of my life for His good. For good. Listen, I believe God is personally invested in my life and in your life. He's not off just watching what's happening. He is personally involved in your life, whether you want to admit it or not. He's there. 
whether you believe it or not, doesn't change the fact that He's there. And God never wastes our pain while He's there. The other thing is that we need to do like this demoniac. Proclaim how God has made a difference in my life. Well, I haven't been set free yet. Begin to speak and start talking about the difference God has already made in your life. Where He has worked. You know what you're doing? You're making the devil matter because you're beginning to see things from a perspective that God is in control and He's doing something great in your life. It's going to mess him up. He ain't going to like it. But when you begin to proclaim how Christ has made a difference in your life, He's going to begin to make more of a difference and more of a difference and you're going to share your word of testimony and people's lives will be transformed and changed. Our stories of pain, adversity, and overcoming in Christ are meant to be used to transform the lives of those who are currently hurting and in pain who need help. Here's my challenge for you over the next seven days. It's not a complicated challenge. It's pretty simple. Over the next seven days, I want you to find someone and tell them how Jesus has made a difference in your, your life. Maybe it's going to be your spouse. Tell them. Might be your kids, it could be your neighbors, it could be somebody at the restaurant while you're eating, it could be while you're out shopping, it could be somebody you have to call on the phone that you haven't talked to. But tell someone this week how Jesus has made a difference in your life. I dare you to do it. In fact, I double dog dare you. What is it? I triple double dog dare you? You can't back out of one of those, right? Hey, Google, remind me to tell someone about Jesus making a difference in my life tomorrow. Hey, Siri, remind me to tell someone about Jesus making a difference in my life tomorrow. Hot dog, somebody's phone picked it up. Yes! <laughs> I love technology. <laughs> so tomorrow when your phone reminds you, because you may forget... Tell someone about the difference Jesus has made in your life. Believe He's making a difference. And stand toe-to-toe to the devil and say, Listen, my past may be ugly, it may be scarred, it may be marred, it may look like trash, but I'm going to proclaim God's working, He's doing something, and He's made a difference in my life. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for the Holy Spirit as it works in our life to change us. I pray right now, Lord, for those who are struggling with things from their past, that there is pain, there is hurt, there is anguish brought on by their family, by those that they trust, that, God, you will set them free. As a demoniac and everything had been tried, Lord, it took Jesus an encounter with Jesus. Lord, even those of us who are born again, who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, can have the demons of our past holding on to us. Help us, Father, cry out to you and see things from a perspective that you're working and you're going to use us. Lord, today, if someone is here and they don't know you, that's the journey they're on, is to come to know you in a relationship 
And then from there, you're going to do such great, amazing things in their life to touch other people. So right now, Father, if someone is here, they